Instead of names and dates, let's focus on the narrative. I'm Adam Blesky. Each month I sit down with a friend to have a real conversation about a part of history that's new to them. The goal is to make connections, to foster curiosity, and to appreciate how incredible the story of humanity truly is. I'm not an expert. This isn't a lecture. This is HI 101. Last time on HI101, we talked about the establishment of the cult of Aten, the sun disk, as the only acceptable religion in Egypt by the pharaoh Akhenaten. This change was accompanied by a movement of the Egyptian capital, abolition of religious orders, and an unprecedented level of government meddling in private worship. Today, we'll talk about the decline of Atenism and the social turmoil that accompanied it. Let's begin. All right, we're here on HI101 with Kevin Miller. Hello. How's it going? Pretty well. We're uh, talking about some Egyptian stuff. Egyptian stuff. Which you told me you're enjoying more than you uh, than you thought you might. Well, uh, I don't know. People who listen to this show and have listened to it as religiously as I do, they know that I typically go for scientific topics. And <laughs> as I mentioned, I think on the last episode, um, always like... I think the earliest I've gone is 19th century or 20th century. Yeah. So uh, this is uh, uh, completely out of my wheelhouse, and it's it's me learning a bunch of new stuff, but uh, and and stuff that I can apply to other interests, such as my Dungeons and Dragons or you sure. know, Avatar: The Last Airbender, <laughs> as I brought up previously. <laughs> so it's 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 out of my wheelhouse, but uh, still in my wheelhouse in other ways. That's good. Egypt's funny like that. It's one of those things that like gets hit in like some sort of like grade seven world history where like you talk yeah about, you talk about it for a week and you're like well well that's and we, egypt and we talked during my space race episode about how every kid was into either dinosaurs or space yeah and i think that everyone had that phase as a child but then when you became like a 10 year old in fifth grade or to seventh grade like there was definitely an egypt component in there somewhere <laughs> Yeah, I was I was big into Egypt as a as a kid. Yeah, about about. And I, I remember learning a bit about it, but I was never totally into history as a topic in general. So thank you, podcast, for getting me into it a bit. I guess <laughs> learning things. You know what? You know what? The biggest thing was that I remember about specifically ancient stuff was I remember like as a kid. So I I don't know, maybe even as late as twelve years old, like reading about discoveries that had been made, like. Oh, tombs and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. And 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 being like, oh man, they just discovered this thing. And I look back and it's like they discovered that thing in like 1972 yeah. or like the big rush of, of breaking open tombs in the 10, 1910s, 1920s, where it's just like, no, I, like people have known this for like 100 years. Like, But I, I get like so excited. It's about new to me. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I just, just, I just found out about and, it. Therefore, it's new. <laughs> yeah, basically. Like I, it's the egocentrism a, of a of a child. <laughs> yeah, I, I read a. This is off topic by a long shot, but hey, listen. Uh, I, I remember reading about 
uh, Lucy, like the, you know, the hominid. There's, there was this big hominid discovery uh, that they named Lucy because they were listening to Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds because it was like 1972. Okay. But it was like a, you know, a, a human ancestor, basically. Oh, I see, I and, see. And I remember reading about it in like a National Geographic, like, I don't know, we were in a waiting room for something or other. Mm-hmm. And just being like, oh my God, they, they found this? Have you guys heard about <laughs> this? Has everyone heard about this? It's like, yeah, everyone's heard about this for 20 years now. Yep. But I, I would treat anything that I found in any sort of book as like a brand new discovery yeah and uh yeah that's i guess that's part of being a kid and not understanding you know that other people knew things before you existed well sure and there's that aspect to it but a more optimistic viewpoint of it is you got excited about it (laughs) that's true and and i think that's really the takeaway there is that i got uh, you know that i I may not get as as vocally excited about stuff like this but uh but you still have that moment yeah oh yeah the, the curiosity is a it's an important thing i think Oh, sure. Anyways. Back um, on top. <laughs> you know what? That's okay. That's okay. I'd rather talk about interesting things than, you know, try and stick to a, a really regimented but kind of boring schedule. Oh, yeah. Well. But we were talking about Ottenism, uh, what they call the Otten heresy, uh, <laughs> for, for good reason. It was <laughs> yeah. A pretty severe I don't know who departure. wrote that history book. <laughs> yeah. It was a pretty severe departure from, from what uh, Egyptian religion looked like before Akhenaten came along. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, we did a pretty good job, I think, of establishing last time what the religion looked like, what Akhenaten was shooting for in terms of reforms and and uh, the society that he's, he was trying to create under these reforms. But, and the one that he accidentally created. <laughs> yeah, that too. But I also alluded to the fact that there was no way that that was going to stand. Like that, it just, it wasn't oh, going to yeah. happen. The reality of it is that it takes a long time for new ideas to catch hold especially when dissemination of information is really slow Mm -hmm. and especially when there's resistance to the dissemination of information. So one thing that I would kind of point to as a little bit of a comparison, if if, uh, you know much about it, is the creation of the Anglican church under Henry VIII and then the flip-flopping between his kids before they kind of settled on Anglicanism. But uh, yeah, I think I saw of, a movie or two about it, yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's a pretty popular story. In fact, I'll probably end up doing a show on it at some point in time. It's uh, it's interesting enough to, to talk about for sure. Awesome. That's the two doors, right? There's the show. That's correct. <laughs> oh, boy. That, that show was uh, something else. <laughs> I, I know nothing about it, so. It was... It was I'm not one of those people that gets super upset about historical accuracy uh, in, in shows. I'm not. I, I don't mind. But. But a lot of people did. And oh. if I was one of those people, I would probably have a lot of problems with the tutors. Oh, I see. Um, so if we had an extra hour, you'd have some things to say. Uh, you know what? I didn't watch a ton of it. Maybe Fair I should enough. go back at some point before I say some things I uh, I don't know what I'm talking about. But okay. uh, it, history in, in entertainment is a, is a real different topic. Actually, that would be an interesting thing to talk about at some point. Just as a broad overall? Yeah, Should yeah, I because be it's, it's, I think it's something that people are interested in. Because, you know, they watch they watch Braveheart and they're like, is that really how things happen? Well, no. Well, no. Not, not at all. <laughs> it's, but It's dramatized. It's a movie. <laughs> but often it's a vector of information for people who become interested in a topic because of the, uh, because yeah, of the media. Yeah, they see it. a movie or a TV show, they become interested and they want to learn more yeah yeah and i think that's a positive thing and i tend to focus on that a little bit more than i do the man there's so much anger around a lot of those things oh sure of course yeah that's that's any discipline though right that's not just history 
of any discipline whatsoever. If you're a physicist, you hate every space movie ever. Oh, it is, yeah. And I mean, we uh, all enjoyed uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson's tweets when Gravity came out, I think it was. <laughs> Interstellar. Oh, yeah, he did I think Gravity it was both. too. Yeah, he did Interstellar too, but there, yeah, Gravity as well. But yeah, it's, it's not, it's entertainment. And the oh, thing sure. about entertainment is that it's great and it's, it's interesting and it's compelling and it's accurate until it's about the thing that you know something about and then you realize that they and have you no idea incensed. what they're talking about. Yep. And you're like, well, oh, this is the worst. Why are they, they don't even know. And then you get all in a huff and then you can't enjoy it. It's and, the burden of knowledge. Yeah, a little bit. I've um, been down that path before. <laughs> it's, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's a bad thing to be a, a vector for uh, curiosity. I, no, I really neither don't. do I. I agree. And uh, and a lot of times, I feel like people learn more looking up what the what the problems were with these things mm-hmm. than they probably would have if they had never seen the movie at all, uh, or the TV show, or read the book, or or what have you. Sure. Um, so I, I I think that's a positive thing, but yeah, they they don't they don't always do that good a job. Well, yeah, I mean. You can watch something like The Two Doors or Marco Polo on uh, Netflix. Oh, and Marco you're like, Polo, wow. And it's like, all right, well, we could just have a bunch of sexy people kind of telling a version of what happened. Marco Polo. <laughs> Sorry, we're getting rid of our previous topic. Now we're talking about this. <laughs> Welcome to our new show. Yeah, exactly. History and media. That's what we're going to call it. Oh, um, no, it's it's... I think the only reason I'm okay with Marco Polo is that they basically went, screw it, we're not even going to try. This is just going to be cool. <laughs> really? You're cool with that? Because how many other how many laymen are coming into it and are like, well, that's how Marco Polo lived? <laughs> I think none of them because I don't think anyone would reasonably think that that's how anything happened. Wow. I haven't actually seen it. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> you know what? They did okay with some stuff. They, they, they incorporated more reality into that show than you would probably expect. Which I think is, which is why I think I'm okay with it. Where mm. I think anyone looking it up would be like, oh, they got that much stuff right and probably be interested that way. More than like, huh, I thought that was exactly how it went with the, you know, the the crazy ninja fights and whatnot. Yeah, everyone who I know saw it said, uh, it's not great, but it tided me over until Game of Thrones. <laughs> Basically, I actually really enjoyed it. That's I, I'm really lucky. I can turn that part of my brain off where I'm just like criticizing everything historical about a piece of media. Oh, sure. Not everyone can do that. And I, I can't imagine how difficult that would be for so many things. So many things. Anyways, I think I think what we were talking about was originally before we got way off on this. Hey, listen. Was uh, the fact that we tend to give Egypt a bit of a, a quick once over and then move on as though we understand everything about the society. <laughs> That's thousands of years. Thousands of years of of material that needs to be you know sort of examined and understood. And and I'm not going to pretend that I understand uh, the vast majority of it. All I've done here is do enough reading that I feel like I can I can reasonably give a bit of background for the specific topic that we're talking about. And that's all I ever really do. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes with a little bit more success than others. But, you know, I'm not going to pretend to understand Egyptian civilization. It was an incredibly complex and rich thing and, and something that changed over the thousands of years that it had uh, prominence in that area. Mm-hmm. So anyways, <laughs> Akhenaten. He's gone ahead and he's changed the state religion so that uh, technically the god Aten, who uh, originated as a sun disk, an aspect of the sun, the, the physical aspect of the sun that was in the sky, mm-hmm. now became a, an all-encompassing and all-powerful being 
that was to be worshipped to the exclusion of all other gods in the pantheon. And that ruffled some feathers. Yeah, a few feathers. You know, as, as you might expect it to. Yep. And while he was alive, he was a powerful enough man that he could enforce that really strongly. But the reality of it is that Akhenaten wasn't that strong a ruler when it came to the things that you usually think of a ruler doing. Things like uh, diplomacy Uh. or warfare or even um, economics. Mm -hmm. Stuff like that he tended to somewhat ignore uh, in favor of his interest in the religion. And that kind of speaks to something that we were talking about last time. Namely, how... Serious was he about Atonism? Mm-hmm. How much was he uh, literally, or, or truly, I should say, devoted to Aten? How much did he truly believe that Aten was the one true God? Right. I and had suggested that he fell deep down the Aten hole, uh, which it kind of, <laughs> which I don't know. I don't know what that is a turn of phrase, but. <laughs> I, I, I'm 10 out of 10. I love it. <laughs> All right. What did you use again? Um, but uh, yeah. So I don't know if I was kind of suggesting that he fell deep into Aten and, you know, kind of drank the Kool-Aid and that became his entire thing, which it sounds like if he's, you know, giving up on other aspects of ruling, economy, diplomacy, etc., that that's kind of at least somewhat, at least partially true. Yeah. Uh, Where you you were kind of thinking more along the cynical, he just wanted to take power away from the priests and centralize it all on him. I I truly believe that it was a combination it was a combination of the two yeah and it's not as though he completely abandoned those aspects of ruling it's that he was pretty bad at it and he didn't (laughs) devote enough time to it well i mean i i don't think that it was that he i I know this is a fine distinction to make i know it is but it's not as though he decided you know i don't have to deal with the hittites because i'm too busy uh dealing with religious matters oh i see it's that you know, he would try to negotiate something with the Hittites and he would be really bad at it. Mm-hmm. Like he did not have a strong diplomatic instinct. Well, and I think that's always been kind of the thing with monarchy, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the case of, you know, where your king is also considered to be a god. Yeah. Uh, where you're not necessarily good at what you are born to do. Yeah, it's often say. referred to as like a roll of the dice aspect. Yeah. Because you can get into all sorts of political theory to do with it, to, to do with all of this, but the reality of the situation is, while a strong and intelligent and capable king can be really good for a country mm-hmm. because they can look at a situation and plan for the long term, they can make decisions without a, a terrible amount of opposition. You get the you get the the other side of that coin, which is that if you have a really bad leader, there's not a whole lot you can do to keep him in check. Right, he's making really bad decisions. So, I mean, that's that's especially the, when you're kind of mandated to literally worship him. Yes, exactly, exactly. Like what? There's no mechanism for uh, removing a bad king from power except for assassination. Yep. Yep. I have a theory. <laughs> <laughs> that's. One of the things, again, a, a tiny digression, but that's one of the things that the Romans did that was very successful was that often the the emperors, while the position of the emperor was hereditary, mm-hmm. they would, as adults, adopt someone that they saw as most capable to take over the seat of emperor. 
So you would have like a 50-year-old man adopting a 30-year-old man. Right. So that the emperorship would pass on to him. But what they were doing was picking a capable and strong and intelligent ruler to come after them rather than just leaving it up yeah, to however that, good their son happens to be. That's not hereditary. It's not like firstborn son. I don't care if he's not great or my secondborn son is better or you know, my daughter or some stranger off the street. That's true. It they're doesn't just matter. Using a, they're just using a legal mechanism to get around the fact that they're technically a, a hereditary position. Yeah. But what I'm saying is that they were using, they were they were looking for that merit over family. Gotcha. So it was at that point, like, listen, yeah, you know, it's hereditary and everything like that. I'm going to pass it to my oldest son. But hey, here's this other older guy who's older than my son, and I'm going to adopt him. And now he's going to be the emperor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it was just like... Sorry, said, other guy. <laughs> yeah, it was just a mechanism of getting around it, but mm. um, a very effective one. But you know, without without people doing that. And that has to be something that's voluntary, right? Like you have to make the decision that you are going to pass it on to someone who is not actually related to you. Right, yeah. And one thing that we didn't really talk about that much last time that we're going to get into a whole bunch this time oh boy. is that the Egyptians had a very uh, convoluted idea of who was good enough to um, pass on uh, the 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 genes, if you will, even though they didn't understand that concept, to uh, to someone who would take over ruling. Mm-hmm. We're looking at like so much incest here. Oh, like so much. I see. Okay. Like yep. we're gonna get confused later because we're not sure who is like who's like mom slash sister. Like we're gonna get into a lot of that stuff. Ooh. Yeah, it's rough. Yeah. But like that. To, to be fair to the Egyptians as much as you can on something like this, this isn't exactly unique to the Egyptians. The idea no, of keeping a pure bloodline, mm-hmm. um, it's it, it causes a lot of problems, genetically speaking. But as much as you can forgive something that is such a strong, both biological and social taboo, you can understand how they would come to the conclusion that someone that is related that to a best person option. yeah yeah is, is is the only person that's that's worthy mm-hmm. uh to yeah anyways and had the right stuff <laughs> yeah so to speak the this is like some greek tragedy level irony going on here <laughs> oh good yeah because well you're 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 basically giving them like the worst possible genetic chance at a at a good king yeah anyways we'll we'll get into that later <laughs> Uh, I think I I think I mentioned the problems that they were having with the uh, the Hittites. Basically, they they were the Hittites are, were were a people that they were running into in sort of the what would be modern day Israel kind of area. Okay. Egypt at this point uh, extended all the way up into Lebanon. They were getting a lot of natural resources from up in that area. Oh wow! Mainly uh, uh, timber huh. uh, was a big one. I mean, oh yeah, I imagine so. Lebanese uh, trees are famous. Um, and they would uh, like the the quality of cedar from from Lebanon is 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 famous or was considered famous, and uh, yeah. part of it is the fact that they were going to Lebanon that the Egyptians were going to Lebanon for this timber, mm-hmm. but they were they were they were getting into border skirmishes with them. The uh, the lines of communication were kind of breaking down. There were letters going back and forth, but they weren't given the amount of attention that they probably should have uh, been given by Akhenaten. Right. They also had the Nubians to the south. That oh, were, you I know, see. So, so, you know, there there were a lot of things that probably could have been avoided with better communication. Yep. And any interest whatsoever. Exactly. Whereas Akhenaten was a little bit more preoccupied with internal matters. Mm-hmm. And 
an inward facing king is one of those things that really only that you can really only judge after the fact whether or not it was the best idea for a place at the time Fair. because sometimes yeah. uh, sometimes a society really requires uh, a leader who looks well, to yeah and if it works out you're probably not going to notice right away it's going to be something that you know maybe 50 100 years later they're like yeah that okay <laughs> yeah exactly and 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 sometimes what you get is the flip side of that where they're looking to uh foreign affairs mm-hmm. and the criticism is that they should have been far more focused on yeah meanwhile stuff. their people are starving <laughs> yeah exactly so i mean the, the criticisms of akhenaten's rule are it, like it's, it's difficult to make a case for him as being a bad pharaoh necessarily mm-hmm. but what is kind of indisputable is that things didn't go well for Egypt under his rule. Got it. Uh, yeah. So I, I know that's a bit of a, again, we're splitting hairs a little bit there, but the fact that he was so focused on societal change, mm-hmm. if, if he hadn't had these external threats to deal with, could have looked like a good thing, especially if the societal change had stuck. Things weren't going well. We're not sure if it was his fault. <laughs> exactly. Besides these wars that were going on and the, um, you know, poor relations with neighbors and things like that. There was also a major uh, plague that swept through Egypt about the 12th year of his reign. This may or may not have been the point in time at which uh, Nefertiti died. A lot of people suggest that that she died in this plague. So it was actually quite personal for him. It's one of those those great levelers when disease wipes that many people out. You know, until until the 20th century, the amount of wealth or power that you have doesn't really make a difference on how much that affects you. Right. Yeah. And on top of all of this, they started seeing a slightly more organized. Like, I don't want to I don't want to give the wrong impression here, but a slightly more organized um, agitation from former priests of Amun who were out of a job because he had destroyed all the temples and, and taken all the, the uh, offerings yeah, away from yeah, them and things course. like that, mm-hmm. who were basically saying... They, they were basically pointing to all of these other problems and saying, listen, this is divine retribution for what you've tried to do with this cult of Atman. Got it. So they were very quick to point the blame. <laughs> well, and again, I mean, you, you can you can look at this two ways. You can look at extremely devout people who are uh, upset at the fact that that their that their patron god isn't being offered like there's no offerings that are being made to their patron god right or you can look at it and say uh these men were accustomed to a certain standard of living and they have not been privy to that for the past seven years they're jumping on any opportunity that they can to uh to try and bring that back again probably a combination of the two (laughs) Uh, I, i i tend to walk that line yeah it's 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 hard to distinguish because if you're an average citizen and your things are going wrong, like if there's a plague, for example, I don't have specifics, but, uh, you know, there's some god that kind of governs that sort of thing and suddenly he doesn't exist anymore. It's like, well, <laughs> we could have stopped this from happening if only that god kept existing. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the answer to you. There is no politics involved. You just wish you had that god back. Right. And especially if you have priests that are saying to you, and, and this is yeah. a class that formerly was looked to for uh for leadership and for guidance and yeah, during these troubled times mm-hmm. if they're saying to you if only we had been giving these offerings if only we had been doing our duties as we were supposed to if only we had been you know then maybe we could have predicted this because as we talked about last time prophecy was part of their duty right okay yeah that's a good point or we could have prayed for protection from Amun, or we could have prayed you know there's there's priests for various other gods again i'm i I, i'm also not sure who would be the best person to protect from disease i'm sure it's a a combination of a number of them that's usually how things have have worked in the past for for stuff like this 
what they're what they're saying to all these people is basically this is the fault of atonism mm-hmm. if we if we hadn't gone down this path we wouldn't be here right now yeah something happened and a bunch of bad stuff followed it and therefore <laughs> yeah and they're and they're conflating you know cause and effect here a little bit but sure but they're also the they're, they're making to... that case probably very emotionally <laughs> yeah and the, the average person isn't going to question them on that sure um they're going to and and they've probably always felt uneasy about atonism well, I, I can't blame them for making that point <laughs> yeah no it, it makes absolute sense it makes perfect sense and so all of a sudden people are feeling like even more uh, unsure about atonism as a as a religion as a as a uh, way of life than they were before in year 14 so a little bit after this plague hits mm-hmm. about two years after Akhenaten actually takes a a co-regent so a, a second king to help him out basically okay. similar to how he had acted with his father right, right. and this co-regent was named uh, Smenkare we we're getting into some weird stuff here because we're really not sure on some timeline stuff on some uh, some identity stuff we'll 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 get to a little bit more of that later but Smenkare there's actually been some suggestions that it's possible that the reason that we don't see anything about Nefertiti after year 12 mm-hmm. is that she actually starts masquerading as a, as a man Oh, to loan her a little bit more legitimacy to rule as Smenkare. Now, this is, there's almost no evidence to really back this up. I lean towards no. This is a 3,000-year-old rumor. <laughs> yeah. And to be honest, if you look stuff up about this on the internet, probably you will find a whole bunch of pages that are saying that Svenkara was Nefertiti. Oh, uh, that's just the way stuff like this works. <laughs> a totally relevant to this day and age conspiracy theory. Yeah, that's how conspiracy theories go. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're looking for. <laughs> they're not really relevant might, to any age, are they? <laughs> they're looking for anything that might subvert the traditional narrative of how things happened, and mm. uh, you know, here's an opportunity. Let's go with it. Fair enough, I guess. Another really interesting theory here is that Smenkare was not Nefertiti and was, in fact, a a male lover of of Akhenaten's, which, again, like, no evidence. Yep. But you can see why people would latch onto that. Oh, sure. Hey, you know what we need is to discredit this guy. Or, or you know, or the or the other side these days, where people are going like, "Look, this guy was a pharaoh, and and he was also gay." Mm-hmm. Which all all I really have to say on it personally is that we have almost no information about Svankari. Um So, yeah, I just shrugged. Is what happened. <laughs> Shoulder there. shrug. <laughs> I did, I, that was that was a pretty exaggerated shrug. I don't know what's going on there. We also don't actually know if Svankare actually overlapped with Akhenaten or not. Oh, okay. Timeline's going to get real fuzzy here. So it may not even be important. Uh, he, well, he ruled Egypt. Okay. Whether he did it on his own, mm-hmm. uh, we're not sure. Whether or not he was a he, mm-hmm. not sure. Whether or not, like, uh, that's all the stuff that it's, right, it feels yeah. like it should be fairly easy to establish, and apparently it's not. But what is a little bit important, and I feel a little bit bad about doing this to you, Yay. is that... Akhenaten died in the 17th year of his reign, mm-hmm. about 1335 BCE, and there are absolutely no rumors of anyone assassinating him, poisoning him. There's none of that stuff. Really? I'm sorry. And honestly, if I was writing this story, you know he would have gotten bumped off. Well, and that seems like the most obvious thing. It I really have a theory. Does, it? <laughs> wow. So, how can there be no rumors? So, like, was his death, like, publicly witnessed? <laughs> well, I mean. 
there was still plague in the area. They, I, I don't I don't have information on how he died. <laughs> it, was, it was just like in the middle of a public appearance and got mauled by a lion, and everyone was like, "Well." <laughs> so here's here, here's why I don't think he was. There are certain hallmarks of assassination in terms of especially Egyptian rulers that mm. were not present with Akhenaten. Number one, we have what we're almost entirely certain is Akhenaten's mummy. Okay. So we've been able to do physical examinations, oh, which I don't see, suggest any foul play. Yep. And number two, his tomb, like while it was desecrated later, mm-hmm. often when you have a, a king that either dies very young or, you know, for, what, for whatever reason. There tend to be ancient grave robberies. No, uh, the, the tombs tend to be hurried. Oh, I see. You know, they're rushed because they weren't expecting Because they weren't it. expecting them to die. That makes sense. Right. Akhenaten lived, you know, not, not an incredibly long time, but long enough that there was a tomb prepared, that all his belongings were prepared. Sure, that, that his cause of death properly. may have been natural or... He was embalmed properly, which is a big thing. Mm-hmm. Often the, the embalming process is rushed when there's a, an assassination. Okay. Usually because of the political turmoil that's involved. Because if you don't embalm them quickly and get them placed in their grave quickly, their successor might decide to desecrate the body in some way. Gotcha. Which sounds heinous, but I mean, if you really hate the guy. Yeah, sure. And I mean, it's, you're only ruining his entire afterlife. Yeah, forever and all eternity. Yep. Yep. So... As I said earlier, I mean, the, the, the point of all of this is that there's no reason to assume that Akhenaten was, was bumped off. It, it was almost certainly natural causes. Hmm. Yep. Okay. I am, I, and I honestly, I am sorry to deny you that. A bit story. anticlimactic. I don't know. Might don't need worry. Editing. <laughs> we're, we're not done yet. We're not. Not in my HBO series. <laughs> and you know, and you know... If this was the Marco Polo version oh, yeah. of the of the Otten heresy. All these Egyptian ninjas would descend from the ceiling suddenly. I'm I'm thinking He'd kill three of them. I'm thinking then. Beat of Poison that's like run down the, the, the thread. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Maybe that one. Because that you know, yep. maybe that leaves no physical traces. I don't know. No man, just have it be like just throw some cobras in there. <laughs> See what happens. <laughs> Asps. Asps. That's right. Very deadly. No, but you do cobras anyway, just because they look better on camera. <laughs> they look deadlier. He had one son, as we mentioned last last time. Uh, at this point, named Tutankhaten. Mm-hmm. Sure. Which has Aten in there. <laughs> which has Aten in there. Well, that's that's the thing. I mean, we're we're going to be talking about like it's. Uh, I believe it's in the image of Aten, and he's going to be renamed Tutankhamun later. Mm-hmm. Notice we're swapping out Aten for Amun. Yep. Amun-Ra, right? I picked that up. That's pretty good. So, and that's, I think, I think a really important thing in terms of, of where, where we're going with this whole uh, reform to the original ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a really good uh, demonstration of sort of the symbolic gestures that were made. But Tutankhamun was really young when, when uh, Akhenaten died. And so we get a little bit of, this, this is where we get into all of this mess where we're not sure if Smankare oh, uh, ruled for a while on his own. What, what we do know is that there was no... It wasn't a direct transition from Akhenaten to Tutankhamun. There was some time in there. There was also a female pharaoh in that time named Nefer-Nefaruatu. Sorry, Nefer-Nefaruatun. Aten again being at the end. Mm-hmm. Female pharaohs were not unheard of. There had been a little bit of trouble kind of a, accepting them as a society. Right. Again, there have been suggestions that possibly this was Nefertiti in disguise. Oh, sure. Like, you get into all this. 
just all this nonsense, right? I'm wondering if this is a product of the modern era where it's just like, well, there's only one Egyptian female, so she must have been all of them. No, that's that's not true because part of what they're looking at is who would be most suited as a like which woman which women were alive at that point in time that would be best suited to being pharaoh sure yeah and she was a, a strong candidate mm-hmm. um not only because she had been married to uh akhenaten right but because of some of her other family stuff that was going on like she was definitely from noble lineage okay i i'm trying to avoid getting into the family tree because it's complicated and a plate of spaghetti uh yeah Basically. what with the inbreeding and all what with the inbreeding and all there's so much of it like N- nefertiti's father was also the father of akhenaten who is nefertiti's husband okay so and they so, were straight up cousins like we're, we're getting into yeah siblings that's not even cousins uh-huh but like half siblings i think oh okay i'm not sure well that's slightly better <laughs> 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 on a very very sliding scale <laughs> So we're, we're, we're getting into a mess. Listen. We're getting into, into a mess. And I mean, in reality, like Nefertiti was one of the, it's absolutely one of the best known uh, women in, in... It's a name that I recognized. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, you also had uh, Hatshepsut, who was earlier in that dynasty. Mm-hmm. That might, yeah, it rings a bell. It rings a bell. Um, she, she ruled on her own uh, quite successfully, actually. Um, you also, you know, much later uh, when it's not as much egypt as it used to be when it becomes <laughs> greek egypt you have you have cleopatra right so it's not as though uh strong women aren't uh, a, a major part of, of but Egyptian. again it's it's thousands of years <laughs> well it is it is of course and and i mean i i guess the flip side of that would be uh they didn't specifically disallow it as most cultures did after them that's yeah that's a fair that's point. that's all i'm really trying to say yeah. um but w- with the with the question of the uh the identity of uh, Nefer and Neferuaten, the reason that that, had, uh, that Nefertiti keeps coming back up is when we think that she died in about year 12 of Akhenaten's reign, mm-hmm. the reason that we think she died is that she just kind of disappears from all records. Okay. And usually what that means is that somebody died. Like, you just stop writing about them. And quietly. They're not around anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and unless you find, like, specifically find their tomb, especially if it has any listings of the, the year that they died. I see. That's when you can confirm or deny. Yeah, because, I mean, these people don't have a ton written about them. And all of these graves were robbed multiple times. Gotcha. Uh, there has been a mummy that was found that may or may not have been Nefertiti, and we're not sure. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if we'll ever confirm that one in particular, because um, a lot of mummies uh, have been found in places other than the uh, the tomb for that particular person because mm-hmm. grave robbers essentially just dumped them in a hole sure, yeah. because they're like the least valuable thing in there. Yeah, true. Um, and they have no respect for the the uh, the practices that led to them being placed there. Got that bust though. And then they didn't know that, you know, thousands of years later that... Oh, that body we found in a ditch was the queen. <laughs> they, well, no, the, the Europeans would like to grind them up into their tea when they have Yeah, headaches. there's that too. So they didn't know how valuable valuable they would be someday. Oh, boy. <sighs> That's a fun story. It's so weird. It is. That's a crazy thing. It's like, it's like the most delayed cannibalism in the universe. Yeah, like you wouldn't... What? When I found out about that... It's... It's a little bit hard to come to grips with. I, I'm not sure it's a thing you should come to grips with. I still with. don't entirely believe it. <laughs> uh, I can guarantee you that it's a thing that happened. Well, I, I believe that it happened, but it sounds 
made up. <laughs> it does. You know, I agree with you. Um, yeah, it was used as a cure for so many things to powder mummies and then, like, sometimes snort it. <laughs> Actually snorting a mummy. Yep. Like, that sounds like a thing that a crazy person would do in a James well, yeah, Bond they'd, like, movie. They'd, like, grind some up and, like, sprinkle some in water and stir it up and do that for, like, a headache. Like, really? <laughs> yeah, you're eating a piece of somebody. It's like, ah. Plus, mummies are kind of a finite resource. <laughs> like, what did they think they were going to do? Yeah, well, you know. Oh, boy, yeah. Well. <laughs> I, was, I was about to say, we're, we're getting into I guess into most some, things were finite resources. Yeah, we're getting into some other some other environmental issues there. Ooh, People woof. don't often think about peak mummy. Um, <laughs> Ooh. Things were real good for a few years. Listen, we're just we're just leaving a world to our children that's devoid of mummies, and what are we gonna do then? Yeah, we're so short-sighted. If only we thought of the mummies. And it's not like we can just make more mummies; they take thousands of years. Nope, we're gonna have to mine other planets for mummies. <laughs> um. Anyways, let's go back to the transition. The uh, probably the more likely candidate for uh, Nefer Neferuaten is one of Akhenaten's minor wives. Like, these pharaohs all had... Like, they'd have, like, one, like, main... Like, what they called their royal wife. Mm -hmm. And then they would have, like, a bunch of other wives. So these, like, official wives, though? Or is it, like, a consort thing? Yeah, there were several levels. So there there was the royal wife. (laughs) There was other official wives. Mm -hmm. And then there would be... Who knows how many consorts, paramours. The, the point of the, the the point of the other official wives is that they could still give them legitimate children. Right. That that's really what's going on there. Um, however, any children of the royal wife would would get precedent in terms of heredity. Right. So even if there's a, a child of a minor wife that is older and male, any yeah. male child of the the royal wife would become their main heir. Yeah, it's. You know, it is Makes what sense. it is. I read Game of Thrones. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. how this works. So, so, but, but the reality of the situation is that, again, we don't know exactly who she was, just that she spent some time in power. And again, we don't know if it was only as co-ruler, possibly with Smenkares, possibly with Tutankhamun. We're not too sure. But she existed mm-hmm. and she ruled Egypt for a while. And it's weird that we don't know more about her, but that's how it goes when it's 3,500 years ago. Yep. A lot can happen. Mm-hmm. Then we get Tutankhamun. May have heard of him. Maybe you heard of him. Maybe you heard of him. Just, he might be the most famous pharaoh ever. Yeah, I think so. I, th- I think that's fair. Entirely because of the, the discovery of his mostly intact tomb in, ni- in the 1920s, I believe 1922, mm-hmm. uh, by Lord Carnivan. Uh, I think most people have read about that at some point. It's interesting stuff, but... Oh, sure. Uh, that's... That's real recent. Was it a major historical find? Oh, absolutely. Like, we learned a lot of stuff from it's... that tomb specifically? Yeah, because it was it was essentially undisturbed. Oh, I see. So it was very intact. Yeah, and I mean, you don't have things that kick around for over 3,000 years with, like, a bunch of gold in it. Yeah. That's just not a thing that happened. That's generally true. Fair enough. So it was, it was, a, it was a massive find. Both because of that and because of the... Because it was sealed, like everything inside had so much more legitimacy than anything that you could find anywhere else. Right, because nothing would have been tampered with or exactly. destroyed or anything like that. Yep. Yeah, it was it was a massive find. It was it was it was 
there have been very few archaeological finds of at that level of importance. All right, fair enough. I apologize for not being up on my king cut. No, no, that's, that's it's, okay. it's been it's been twenty years. <laughs> no, no, that's that's fine, and it's a completely reasonable question to to ask. I mean, what's what's the big deal about finding the tomb of some guy that ruled? Egypt for nine years. Well, I, I'm just wondering ago. what specifically, because I didn't remember all the details about the discovery of that tomb, what would make that finding that tomb more impressive than, say, you know, Ramses II or... So, well, I mean, the the, the thing the thing that's interesting about Tutankhamun's tomb is that it's actually not that good a tomb. Like, it's not... As impressive? It's not that big. It's not yeah. well laid out. Like, the tre- the treasure in it isn't that great. Like it's it's, I mean it's pretty good. Well, is this harkening back to what you said earlier as a boy king? Yes, and I mean there are like he was he was buried so quickly. Okay, so so let's get into this. Tutankhamun had so many genetic defects due to right. his yep. like very generations of inbreeding. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's just he he was an absolute mess. Like he we don't know all of the things that he had because there are just like competing theories on like all the different diseases that that guy had mm-hmm. so I, I i don't know i almost feel no not almost i do feel bad for this guy i feel terrible for this guy he's growing up with probably like scoliosis or some nonsense like that like right. he had a completely curved spine mm-hmm. had to walk with a walking stick uh possibly clubbed feet like uh, may have had malaria may have had sickle cell disease may have had like just you name it, there's been somebody that suggested that he's had Say, it. yeah. Like, I think Goat was in there. Yeah. It's just... Ugh. Just bad. He took the throne at age nine. Again, we're not entirely sure if this was co-regent with one of these other people, but mm-hmm. he, he officially came to the throne at age nine. His name means uh, the, the living image of Amun, originally living image of Aten. Mm-hmm. Continuing this theme of the, the, the pharaoh being an actual manifestation of these gods on Earth. Right. Originally Aten. Um, because that's what his dad was setting up for him. And he absolutely had regions guiding him through his entire reign. Because he was nine. And like, right, what yeah. nine-year-old can rule a, a kingdom? Not very many. Probably not. A couple of them that we that we know really well were uh, a vizier, um, whose name was just I. Um, which is a refreshing breath of Was he represented air. hieroglyphically as an I? It's spelled A-Y. Okay. Um, but, you know. Hey. Hey. And then a general that he he called or that was called Horemheb, and he actually made Horemheb his official heir very early on, which is interesting because Horemheb hmm. was a, a commoner, but he had worked his way up through both his his skill militarily and his skill diplomatically. Like he was he was both a, a diplomat and climb the ladder. Yeah, um, that that he was he was placed very high, and that's one thing about Egyptian. Um, society that's really interesting is that it's it's very mer- uh, it's it's very much a meritocracy. If you were good at something, you could you could. I was actually just about to ask uh, this priest class that we were talking about earlier. Were they typically nobility, or they could be anyone? The concept of nobility is a really mushy one. Oh yeah, I guess that makes sense if everyone's kind of yeah inbred. So royalty is its own thing, right? Sure, yeah. Like the the royal line is its own thing, and right? Anyone that had a high status in a society, mm-hmm. you would certainly have a better shot at it if you had prominent parents. Because of the, but that's more merit based. 
sure like their prominence like i mean it has to start somewhere yeah no i i, I mean it's it's more it's more a matter of the the advantages that they're uh, that the education that they can pay for and the connections that they have can afford you right that gives you a better chance of being a successful person right but so if you were bad at it be successful with the hopes that your children will be better off yeah exactly um the american dream yeah so so Hormheb was was a a commoner but but was made uh tutankhamun's heir apparent basically but the understanding was that that's basically until he has a son. Like any children whatsoever is going to negate that. I see. So this is a placeholder son. Yeah. Basic. Well, I mean, and by son, I mean much older than him. Yeah. Uh, yes. The problem was that Tutankhamun married. Her, her name was originally Anka Sanatan. It became Anka Sanat. Uh, Anka Sanamun. Mm-hmm. Uh, naturally. Uh, who is a sister? Mm-hmm. So good. That's that's fantastic. <laughs> Continuing the tradition. Things weren't bad enough. <laughs> well, they were trying to keep the line pure to try and filter out all these terrible diseases. Yeah, keep the line alive, please. <sighs> yep. So what that meant was they had two stillborn children, and that was about it. Mm-hmm. And I was now, gonna say it couldn't get much worse. <laughs> basically, yeah. The, the the genetic line was not viable. <laughs> not viable. As 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 clinical as that is to say, that's that's exactly what happened here. So around year three, so when he was 12, that's when Tutankhamun made all these changes. He changed his name to Tutankhamun. Mm-hmm. He moved the uh, he moved the capital back to Thebes. Yep. And again, all of this is at the advice of his uh, his vizier and his his general. All these people that are that are around him that are giving him guidance. And that uh, probably lived through the turmoil of the previous reign. Because, I mean, people don't know where, what to do, what to expect, uh, how to act. They don't yeah. know what's allowed and what's not. There's a new king and no one knows who the, how he's going to react. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, the, the idea of him keeping the cult of Athen alive is confusing for the people, dangerous for him. Yep. And, you know, they gave it a try and it didn't work out. So maybe the old ways are good. Yeah. Reset yeah. the clock. <laughs> it's 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 a difficult situation to deal with because when you try something once and it goes badly, mm-hmm. but that one try is such a flagrant disregard of tradition that people react really strongly against it. Like, is it worth like how how much do you keep up that experiment before right. giving it up? Before just dusting your hands and yeah, and just hoping that everything away. goes back to normal. <laughs> yeah, obviously the answer here was not long. Yeah, turns out. <laughs> Everyone was ready. <laughs> Everyone was ready to go back. <laughs> so he, like I said, especially, like most importantly, restored the worship of other gods. Excellent. Which is a, which is basically all that anyone <laughs> and wanted. And there was much rejoicing. All of the advice of his regions. Yeah, sure. They saw how bad things were. Yeah. Unfortunately, due to all of his terrible genetic diseases died in uh, a year nine of his reign. So at the age of about 18 or 19, mm-hmm. this is the year 1323 BCE. Unclear how. Now you'll find that there are a lot of, mm-hmm. let's say discovery channel specials uh, on, sure. on the murder of that he's still uh, alive. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been a, it's been a common theory for a really long time. There's a, there, there are a number of broken bones. We're not sure if it was from poor handling of the money mummy because it was discovered in 1922. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it could have been from a chariot accident. He may have taken uh, a fall. We're not sure if he had some sort of um, degenerative, degenerative or neurological disease that caused him to to take a spill, um, or he may have des- died from like 
all of the diseases that he had. Yep. <laughs> uh, there are so many candidates for what killed him that I don't think it's worth sticking around on too long. There is a possibility that he was assassinated. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't proved, proven it one way or another. If anyone in this story was assassinated, it was him. But it may just be that this is how the timing worked out. Yeah. So Tutankhamun is dead. He's got no heirs. Uh, I think this is probably a pretty good spot to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about Egypt trying to rebuild. All right, we're back on HI 101 here with uh, Kevin Miller. Hello. Man, I feel a little bad about breezing over to you in common like that. Yeah. Like... Easily, if people could name only one pharaoh, I bet it would be him. Yep, probably not even all of his name. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly, King Tut. And it's interesting how much he takes up the sort of collective consciousness of of the world when they when they think of Egypt. Mm-hmm. He's he's a a really strong symbol. And if you're alive at the time that we're talking about this, at best you're seeing him as a puppet for people who are instilling changes that you want to happen. And at worst, you're you're kind of seeing like an incredibly ineffectual king child that's uh, that's not really getting anything done. Deformity. He he doesn't have he doesn't have a lot going for him. Not a lot of gravitas there. Poor guy. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's it's, but but yeah, I mean that's that's the reality of the situation that the the story of the Otten heresy. He's a bit player. Like he, the the biggest thing he does is listens to the people that tell him, listen, put things back the way they were. It's going so badly. Yep. And then he did that and then he died. Yeah. And then he died. So yes, Horemheb was technically his heir. Okay. However, I actually took over next because Horemheb was off fighting a war with the Hittites at the time of his death. Mm -hmm. And I kind of just swooped in there maybe me <laughs> and well he he married the widow on Kassanaman, yeah the mm-hmm. widow and that provided him with like enough legitimacy to become the next pharaoh now he was already in pretty tight with the royal family in that he was also the father of nefertiti which means that he was like the grand uh. but not <laughs> hang on but like one of his other daughters, Queen Tyr, had been maybe related to Akhenaten, and then like I I don't know. We get into some weird like like quarter granddaughter type stuff going on here. I I didn't listen. I was thinking about drawing the family tree, and I got sad. <laughs> yeah, I saw you stare off in the space for a second there <sighs> as you're trying to remember what this could even look like. So let's let's say that he had some indirect claim on the throne and leave it at that. Sure. Yeah. He, he, tried. He, he tried. He did it. <laughs> and then he strengthened his claim by marrying the widow and mostly spent his time uh, trying to make sure that the power vacuum that followed the rule of Tutankhamun didn't get or didn't didn't cause stability problems, like widespread stability problems right, uh, yeah. within Egypt due to this war with the Hittites. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he was he was focused on just let's stay the course let's yeah, baseline business this as usual, thing. please yeah let's get back to a new normal exactly and he was pretty old at this point because he had been providing i guess king's wives for a while I was now gonna say yeah seems like he's a grandpa <laughs> and he only ruled for four years before dying again of natural causes there's mm-hmm. no 
There's no foul play there. A little stability, please. But so you, as like a, a, like an average Egyptian citizen, could have lived through what four rulers at this point? Yeah, pretty easily. Yeah, possibly five. Possibly depending. five, because yeah, we're we're getting there. We're working on it. Yeah. Once he once he died, Horam had finally cashed in on his claim because he actually had some some legal recourse there. Okay. Uh, uh, having been actually named Tutankhamun's heir and was therefore technically the heir of the royal wife of both Tutankhamun and I, because she had been married to both. Oh, okay. <laughs> like I said, family trees are not going right. to be fun In fact, Yeah, we're a, getting the bottom of this family tree, and it's already confusing. There was, there was a lot of confusion over, and, and a lot of debate over whether Tutankhamun was actually Akhenaten's son mm. or not, because... Who knows with all this stuff that's yeah, going right. on right now? It has been it has been genetically determined that he is in fact Akhenaten's son. Oh really? Oh, well, they have both of the mummies, so they can run yeah, true. DNA tests, which is kind of cool when you think about it. It sure is. But you know, there's there's That'd tissue that's preserved of Mori. there. Yeah, there's pres- there's preserved tissue there that can actually give DNA. You are not the father. <laughs> <laughs> He's walking uh, like an Egyptian backwards out of the hall. However, he is not Nefertiti's son. Uh, he would have been the son of one of his, one of Akhenaten's minor wives, mm-hmm. who was his sister. Lesser wives. Yeah. Oh. Oh boy. Um, maybe I got some stuff wrong with who I was the father of. Maybe he was the father of Amenhotep the Thirds. Wife, I think that's what it was. You have your work cut out for you in the show notes, buddy. And and Nefertiti, <laughs> there will be show notes on this. I'm sorry, I tried to remember With this. Pictures and diagrams. I went over this like, what time is it? I went over this like two hours ago, oh, trying boy. to just get it. Well, all it doesn't straight. sound like it's very clear, so I don't blame you. You know, honestly, it doesn't matter that much. The 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 talking points here are it was an incestuous mess, mm-hmm. and it resulted in major political as well as biological problems for everyone involved yeah yeah so that's that's the reality of this situation yes so splitting <laughs> off to um uh sorry i forgot the name uh tutankhamun's uh military heir yeah uh, splitting off to an entirely unrelated family would have been ideal yeah horamheb <laughs> start over the the commoner as you yeah remember. exactly so he doesn't have any of this deep-seated inbreeding because he's a commoner and that's not necessary that's correct uh so to split off to him as a, an heir to basically reset the clock on a royal bloodline would have been kind of ideal yeah it's it's not it's not the worst thing that happened to them and the the other nice thing there is that it seems that horamheb was if not the sole one, then definitely one of the main driving uh, voices towards getting rid of Atonism and returning to the traditional ways of life. Okay, so he's on message too. Well, it was his message from the start. Right, I think is, right. is yep. the point that I'm trying to get. Right, he was the advisor. <laughs> he was, yeah, he was one of he was one of Tutankhamun's advisors, and this was one of the things that he pushed for. Uh, getting the capital moved away and all of that stuff, mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. That sounds what, like an interesting guy. thing to say. So when he took when he took control, number one, he he went on basically a cleansing spree, Akhenaten style, and destroyed a whole bunch of Aten temples. Oh, okay, as well as a bunch of references to Aten, which does not help things. Yep. 
as well as any references to some of these interim pharaohs that we've been talking about, which is why I've had to be so vague about a lot of this stuff, Mm -hmm. especially I. He hated I. Well, sounds like it, yeah, with good reason. With good reason, yeah, absolutely. But the problem, Usurper. the problem looking back is trying to get to the bottom of all of this. Yeah, and it makes it difficult when people keep obliterating records. It's really difficult. <laughs> so that's how someone you, got mad. That's how you end up with all of these uh, uncertainties about uh, Neferneferwaten. That's how you get all of these certainties about. Uh, Smenkare, it's it's impossible to keep track of exactly when these people are ruled, when their tombs have been defiled and all of their monuments have been destroyed. Yeah, someone later that year might have not known exactly what happened. <laughs> That's a good point, actually. I, I, I tend to think about this stuff in context of like what we know now, like what we can kind of suss out. Yeah, but, but it sounds like there was enough sort of shady dealings happening, information being destroyed or not really released, that, that we might actually know more now than they did even like five years later. That's very true. That's very true. Especially when you look at the whole power behind the throne dynamic that you've got going exactly, on with so much yeah. of this. Interesting. Yeah. No, you're you're absolutely right. Boom, mic drop. Yeah. What a what a crazy time to be alive. I, I, I sometimes come across these like there, there's these certain convergences of of, of just uh, turmoil in history mm-hmm. where you realize like what like one normal person could realistically see in the course of their life. Right, yeah. And this is one of them where mm-hmm. you go like, man, like if you were just like some, maybe not like a peasant, because a lot of times stuff doesn't even get out to them. But like, let's say, let's say a, a low level merchant kind of thing that could at least keep up on political stuff, but wasn't necessarily uh, privy to all of this information, how much they could have seen. Right, right. And I mean, there's even some more, um, this is more of a topic that we can relate to now where you hear about people who were born in like the late 19th century, like 1898 and then live till 2013. Yeah. And so it's like when they're born, their family is traveling out West in covered wagons and they live to see the internet. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's insane. But like, and, and, and a lot of what we're seeing there though, is like this, this general, and that, that's why I'm kind of okay with it is we're seeing this general, increase in speed when it comes to technological advancement right right yeah whereas a lot of these people the the amount of change that they're seeing is because things are terrible everything has gone wrong Mm -hmm. another really um interesting one is is people who could very easily have been alive during the roman republic that saw the transition through julius caesar to caesar augustus okay and the number of civil wars that the roman republic and then later the roman empire went through to get to that stability Mm -hmm. was really difficult like i mean if you were a noble person in rome at that point in time like you better choose sides right in like uh, i'm gonna say minimum three major decisions and if you don't get all oh, three wow. of them right you'd probably get purged yeah so you feel like a one, a one in 27 chance of being on the right side of history <laughs> basically yeah or you know st- stuff like um the religious turmoil with henry the eighth we brought them up the, before the 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 end of the tutors mm-hmm. the the state religion swapped back and forth like a good three times in there right and i'm just imagining people would just have to be like oh come on just tell me what you want <laughs> i'm just trying so, to stay alive here so hang and on, not in prison hang on we're catholic again is that is that what we're doing <laughs> reset the clock uh, and and it would be it would be very difficult to navigate for for ordinary people but you're right, the amount of intrigue that goes on behind the scenes, at least with the tutors, we have some idea of it because these people were writing about it. Mm-hmm. We don't with with the Egyptians that we're talking about today. Right. Um, it's it's very possible that there are machinations that have just been lost to time there. It's 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 in fact I would say likely. 
Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right there. And it's 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 kind of strange to think about because it, it is so long ago that relating it back to normal people, like just everyday right. human beings living their lives can be really difficult. Oh, sure. And I mean, you do the best you can with the scraps of information you have. Exactly. But it's, it's not a lot of scraps sometimes, mm-hmm. especially when they're going through and raising it yeah. purposefully. Like, oh yeah, there would have been 12 scraps of information, but they raised seven of them and <laughs> do the best you can. Yeah, exactly. So, I, I mean, there, there, there are certain spots where uh, I believe it's information about I, but I could be, I could be wrong there, where the only reason that we know anything about him is that there's like, there's a tomb where his, his name was written in, you know, eight times and they destroyed seven of them, but they missed one of them just because oh, there's so yeah. much writing. So just by a fluke. Yeah. Yeah. That we know he w- lived at all. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It's, it's insane. And that comes back to what we were talking about earlier about purging information where that was a possibility then like for, for a long time, we weren't even sure how exactly Akhenaten and Tutankhamun were related. Mm -hmm. Like not, not necessarily like familial relation, but like how their rule, uh, related to one another. Right. Because it it took a lot of work to figure out what exactly is going on there. And as I said, we still don't know exactly what happened. But we're doing our best. But at least now we have some idea of the of the timeline. Yeah. Um, and that's largely because of flukes where they didn't manage to destroy the information. We could very easily be sitting here having this conversation. And the middle of it could just be a giant shrug of, well, somehow we went from Hakanaten to Tutankhamun. Well, yeah, there's a, a few lucky finds. Mm-hmm. And, you know, who knows what we're going to discover next year that will <laughs> turn everything on its ear. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So... Back to Horemheb a little bit. Yes, he destroyed all of this information. <laughs> and that wasn't cool. Well. <laughs> Let's just put that on the board. Come on, man. What he did do, though. He was angry, though. I get it. <laughs> what he did do, though, was, you know, he wasn't entirely uh, a small C conservative in this. He wasn't entirely about a return to uh, tradition. Oh, He picked, and, and this is the thing that I find, I think the most interesting about this story is that you know, for for a guy who in any other society would have had zero chance in life mm-hmm. was an incredibly astute ruler because the first thing that he does is, oh, and by the way, I should mention, the reason the Tutankhamun's tomb wasn't uh, desecrated was that he left it there out of respect for Tutankhamun because without Tutankhamun, he wouldn't have been made pharaoh. Right. And under Tutankhamun, these, refer- the, these reforms were all started. So he decided to let that run. Yeah, I wouldn't think there'd be any bad blood there. Yeah, mostly because Tutankhamun was more or less a puppet. But it's just to say that he destroyed well, sure, but I mean... three and a half to four pharaohs worth of information and left Tutankhamun as an island in there. Yeah. Which is, is notable. Well, I mean, Tutankhamun may have been his tool, but it was one that did his job well. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 absolutely. I agree. So he reverts the government to kind of pre-Akhenaten times where you're looking at a lot more focus on local governance. Mm -hmm. But he makes a couple of big changes there. First of all, he divides Upper and Lower Egypt into two provinces. Okay. Which are still united under the rule of the pharaoh. Right. But each has its own capital and each has its own vizier who reports to the pharaoh. Like a a a governor? Yeah, it's it, exactly. It's mm-hmm. it's that's yeah, it's a governor. They they report to the pharaoh, they they are accountable to the pharaoh. And 
they give him a little bit better idea of what exactly is going on on a slightly more ground level perspective because Mm -hmm. ruling the whole country on your own is a really big endeavor especially when you're dealing also with outside forces and when you're dealing with the economy and religious duties all of this stuff uh besides you're a pharaoh you're probably wanting to like go hunting or whatever pharaohs do for for fun right this way you can kind of call up your vizier in in uh, memphis in in lower egypt and go what exactly is going on there is there anything i need to know about or conversely they can come to you and go listen for the most part things are going well there's this one issue that i need your backing on Mm -hmm. and having a governorship like that has subsequently been shown to be a really efficient way of governing it's just I, i mean you can try and be like this one single person who is all powerful in a, in a society. Right. And there's only so many hours in a day. Yep. You're probably not going to do that you're well. Only one man. <laughs> if you're willing to relinquish a little bit of power, mm-hmm. then you're going to have like, it's, it's potentially a much more stable system. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it seems, I get why people would have trouble understanding that from a, you know, if they've never really tried it, why giving up some power actually gives you a, better control mm-hmm. over an area but it's it that's that's just the way it works a little bit goes a long way i guess yeah it, it pays in dividends if we're if we're throwing things around it yeah i just realized we're speaking in cliches now <laughs> hey listen <laughs> uh, hey, yeah <laughs> bo- both of us here yeah he took and rather than completely destroying mostly repurposed monuments to atten and he didn't outlaw the worship of Aten, but he really dialed back what exactly Aten was on a theological right. uh, level. Yeah. And basically brought him back into being the sun disk and being an aspect of Ra. Yeah, well, he knows firsthand what will happen if you tell people that God doesn't exist. <laughs> yes, exactly. But, I mean, like, to his credit, though, he could have also disavowed the existence of Aten. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's a thing he could have done. Yeah. And he chose not to. Well, it, it sounds like things were working pretty well pre-Atonism. And so he just wanted to return to form. I agree with you. I also think that it's notable in that he was a god king who was making a reasonable decision. <laughs> yep. Because if I was an angry god king, I well, don't know if I could be that reasonable necessarily. And, and I mean, I don't want to ascribe too much to how he made his decisions. But if he came up as a commoner, maybe he's got a bit more perspective on what it is to not be a god king. <laughs> yes. I, I, yeah, again, it's, it's, I agree with you. It's hard to, it's hard to necessarily put too much on there because there is this, pervasive narrative of like the the commoner being brought in and, and being elevated yeah right? and, and being a reasonable guy and yeah <laughs> suddenly he knows more than anyone in there i mean that's a that's a storybook waiting to happen but yeah but the fact of the matter is that he wouldn't have gotten nearly as high as he did in the um sociopolitical order of egypt if he wasn't a capable and intelligent person right so that's i, I think that's well worth that's what i'm at. saying add that to the fact that he was also like a military leader uh yep. and it sounds like an interesting guy <laughs> he sounds well-rounded if nothing else yeah definitely like that's and that's an important feature in a in a monarchy where the defining feature prior to this is crippling yeah. inbreeding yeah i mean <laughs> <laughs> it certainly helps like, I mean, I don't, I don't want to keep harping on that, but it, it, you know. Yeah, if if you're alive and healthy and don't have all this baggage and also have a well-rounded education and are capable of making a tempered decision, yeah, you might be a decent ruler. <laughs> sure, and you know, and that's the thing though. Like he, he does display a temper. He is angry at I. He is angry about you know all of these things that happened under Atonism, and yet he still makes a tempered decision. And mm-hmm. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. 
I, I have, uh, you know, as much as you can respect someone who is essentially a, you know, barely even an individual, but almost a concept when you're talking about things that far back. Yeah, true. Uh, I, I have some, some respect for that aspect of this concept also he did burn and destroy a lot of stuff yeah absolutely and that's <laughs> that's what i'm saying like you can't you can't hold him up as a as a hero of oh violence. no no because <laughs> he is not no he created some laws against the abuse of political power essentially limiting the role of pharaoh within egyptian society which really wait what yeah that's not where did of. that come from <laughs> sorry you're not divine basically saying that there is only so much that the that the pharaoh can do in a society basically and i mean this is all stuff that could be undone by future pharaohs let's not kid ourselves here oh sure but to decree that no the pharaoh is only an aspect of horus and is essentially ceremonial in those roles that there are still there's still going to be a priesthood of horus Mm -hmm. that you know no the king can't be the sole conduit through which mankind can uh commune with the gods right putting putting limits like that on the on the the pharaohship is again a really respectful thing to do or, or or something i really respect for someone to do when they are the pharaoh yeah well it sounds like a never again sort of thing <laughs> well and and it is it mm-hmm. really is because as as much as this isn't a story about warfare and bloodshed and and that sort of devastation mm-hmm. on a cultural level it absolutely is this right. was a this was a uh this was a nuclear event to their culture and to their religion and you know putting away those keys and and, and locking them up and, and saying no this isn't going to i can't let this happen again in good conscience yeah so not only am i putting things back the way again but i'm putting down laws so that the person after me can't just do it again <laughs> exactly yeah it, I, I i find that really interesting because you know, it's it's one thing to speculate about what you would do with absolute power or or a million dollars or what yeah. what have you. But until you do, well, I mean, there's there's a reason that the average uh, lottery winner buys yeah. a car within I think it's 19 days. Most of them have bought a car. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can say what you want, but you're going to do something different when you're in that situation. And this oh, guy managed definitely. to yeah managed to temper those. Uh, very reasonable and very human urges to do whatever he wanted Mm -hmm. which is kind of cool he limited it to you know erasing a couple people from history but who can blame him you gotta go a little crazy but to be fair those weren't great people (laughs) yeah no i i I get what you're saying i disagree don't worry about them anymore (laughs) um i'm the new guy he also reestablished the priesthood of Ammon. yay who and are happy he to have their jobs back after 20 years. Yeah, he, pre- he selected new priests from it, largely from the military, people that he could trust not to abuse the power. Hmm. Yep. As, as the leadership for the priesthood, at least. Okay. It wasn't that he disallowed any former priests from rejoining. It's that in terms of the leadership, he, or- he organized it in a way that he, A, understood, and B, trusted. Yeah, and could keep a tab on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and not even so that he had direct influence in it, but that he saw as being a, a way of... Mm, he, he, viewed, he viewed the priesthood as being as powerful as the military. And the military had been organized in such a fashion that men with a lot of power in leadership roles mm-hmm. were still nevertheless turning over power to the people after them and were still loyal to the pharaoh despite having this potential to be... Uh, quite disruptive right and yeah. so he saw that as a model after which to create the Remake new the priesthood, priesthood. Yeah. and which you know 
makes a lot of sense when you think about the relationship between the military and the and the the pharaoh ship mm-hmm. and then the priesthood and the pharaoh ship you need some level of communication and cooperation between those those bodies and the ruler well sure and if he has a system that he knows works pretty well he might as well expand that and that lends a little bit of credence to the idea of maybe the reason that Akhenaten did this in the first place was that there was a breakdown in communication between the priesthood and the pharaoh right at the very least, that it, it's it's possible that Horam had uh, saw it that way personally, right? And it was something that he was trying to avoid. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, you can you can only you can only read someone someone's oh, sure, mind yeah. so much looking back. Into Let's the past, assume but, this. <laughs> yeah, he uh, and and I think yeah that that covers all the reforms that I wanted to talk about, which are it's it's quick list. It's some big stuff. Yeah, definitely. It's some really important stuff. Now. Horemheb died without any successor. He he left with, uh, or or rather any any child that was a successor. He left the king- kingdom to his vizier uh, Paramas, mm-hmm. who was the founder of the nineteenth dynasty. So that's that's this is the this whole thing ended an entire dynasty, right? Uh, one that had been founded in a very powerful way, the reunification of Egypt mm-hmm. against the Hyksos. And it, it collapsed under Akhenaten, basically, and his direct successors, which, let's face it, were not very successful people, other than uh, you could argue Horemheb with his... Uh, but but really what he was doing was... Rebuilding. Putting out, yeah, re- rebuilding, putting out the fires that had been set by Akhenaten mm-hmm. uh, all over Egyptian society, culture, day-to-day life. Everything. Everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, crashed the economy, ruined relationships with nearby uh, civilizations everything <laughs> like he, he messed it all up so bad and, and and the thing about the the transition was that it's not even that there's something fundamentally wrong with what he wanted to do it's that he went about it in such a ham-fisted and yep. and um totalitarian way <laughs> and disconnected way yeah he didn't he didn't do a thing that the people had been clamoring for no yep. he did exactly what he wanted in the most uh dictator dictatorial fashion that you can possibly do a thing like this mm-hmm. And the people didn't take to it. In surprise, a, in surprise. A, in a really strong way. Yeah, exactly. What a surprise. So, yeah. that's. I think that's that's the, the place to end this story. There's no other place to end this story. Yep. <laughs> uh, I was going to say the best place, but no, it's the only place. Yeah. The story's uh, over. <laughs> the story's over. Egypt went back more or less to the way things had been in the uh, earlier 18th dynasty. The way that you would look at the 19th dynasty, the dynasty of Ramses II, mm-hmm. uh, is very similar to what you would have seen in the 18th dynasty. There are obvious changes, but you know, in in broad strokes, the culture more or less reverted to the way it had been. And this is all a discussion of an extremely tumultuous but isolated event that uh, that sort of rocked the Egyptian civilization. And yeah, it's it's interesting to talk about because. You know, t- today people look at this and they, they try and actually identify with it in a, in a really positive manner because and, and it's, it's all proceeded on one fact, which is that it looks like a monotheistic uh, religion. Yeah. And people try and make connections with that and Judaism, especially the fact that. Oh, the, yeah. Yeah. In the Jewish tradition, the, the, the Jews spent time in Egypt. And so there's questions of whether or not there is a, at least a transfer of culture there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's there's also the fact that Egypt basically owned the land that would become Israel. Yeah. Uh, and whether or not there's there's cultural transfer there. So people look on this story with a lot of positive spin. <laughs> 
or or at least searching for some sort of continuity or or meaning there Got which it. there I, might not be <laughs> i i don't want to say there isn't but you know let's let's take things yeah for, you can't dig looking for something specific yeah that's and and that's really what ends up happening is people go looking for well it's like scientific method right you can't go into an experiment looking for a specific result that's not science <laughs> that's right you can have a hypothesis but if your hypothesis is proven wrong you don't reject yeah. the uh, results that you get and the the fact of the matter is that there's very little to suggest that there's a relationship between uh, the cult of Aten and, and and anything to do with the Abrahamic tradition, hmm. but it's still revisited fairly frequently, yeah, as as is always going to be the case with stuff like this. But sure, yeah. Uh, in in reality, I think the, the the cynic in me wants to say that what happened here was that a a power play against the uh, the Ammon priesthood went mm-hmm. horribly wrong, and that the the civilization kind of self corrected, and maybe maybe there was more sincerity to it maybe there was more devotion to it than than what what it seems like there um, right it, in fact there almost certainly was but again ascribing meaning to things that people do or ascribing intention to things that people do is really really hard to do yeah and maybe it's a lesson against giving someone absolute power like that true to just say you know i'm not a great ruler and you there's no way for you to know that but i'm just going to completely reshape every facet of our civilization for a little while yeah yeah absolutely whoops let's hope it works out and and it's a lesson that was somewhat not completely but somewhat lost to time after you know millennia Mm -hmm. but uh it's it's in terms of looking for episodes in egyptian culture that give you uh, an idea of how their society worked and what, what what life could be like for Egyptian people. You tend to look for the extremes rather than the day-to-day because the day-to-day doesn't get written about. Oh, sure. And the, I thought this was a really good opportunity to talk about some of those aspects of Egyptian life. So, yeah, by, by talking about how someone made life everything that it wasn't before, it uh, it works as a, as a really nice counterpoint, I guess you could say. Yep. We skipped over Tutankhamun because he was kind of a footnote in this whole thing anyways. Yeah, we talked about him for four or five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> We've gone through the whole life and death of the uh, of the cult of Aten. Uh, things are more or less back to normal, I guess. Hooray. Hooray. Do we, do we skip over anything that you're, you're curious about? Uh, not especially. No, okay. I think we pretty much covered it. Sweet. There's, I, I mean, and part of the... We've, we've alluded to this part of the problem of talking about Egypt is there's so much. Yep. So, well, you know, it's it's easiest to pick stuff like this and stay specific, but by no means have we even begun to delve yep. into that. Yep, and that's all of Egyptian history. Yeah, and that's all of, that's everything you need to know. That's all of the important <laughs> stuff. Yeah, we, we talked about the one guy you've heard of. <laughs> and also Nefertiti, the other person you've heard of. Sure. Done. We mentioned Ramsey. He said he wasn't in this, but yep. we mentioned him. We mentioned him. Name mm-hmm. drop. Maybe you heard of him. Maybe you heard of him. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Really appreciate having you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me back. As difficult as it can be for historians to piece together events that happened millennia ago, the reign of Akhenaten and the immediate fallout are a unique episode in Egypt's history, with consequences in almost every aspect of Egyptian life. The experiment was clearly a failure, but why and how it failed help us to better understand the status quo of Egyptian life as the society reacted against the religious turmoil. 
Through this, we can better understand the lives of Egyptians living in the 18th and 19th dynasties with far more clarity. On the next episode of HI 101, we'll be talking about the history of jazz music. Watch for that episode on October 1st. As the format of this show inevitably leads to factual errors, I encourage you to visit hi101.ca and check out the corrections posted there. That's hi101.ca. If there are any errors I haven't addressed there, please let me know and I'll add them to the notes. And remember, HI 101 is a broad introduction. If the subject we've discussed today has caught your attention, I encourage you to look for more information. It only gets better from here. I'm Adam Blesky, and this has been HI 101.